couple weeks ago now, as we looked back on what we were studying, which was verse 21 to 39, uh, we can see how Jesus and his disciples are fully engaged in kingdom ministry here in the Gospel of Mark. We looked at two specific things, which we'll continue a little bit today. We looked at the, the teaching of Jesus and how he has authority when he teaches, not like the scribes and the Pharisees. We also looked at the power of Jesus Christ, and today we're going to continue to look at his power as Jesus encounters a leprous man. And here's what I'll read, verse 40 to verse 45, six verses today, and it says this, a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him, some translations say begging him, and falling on his knees before him and saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him. And he said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. He sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas. And they were coming to him from everywhere. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Many things to observe here in this passage, but let's start by looking at the condition of the leper. We see here in verse 40, it says very simply that a leper came to Jesus Now, the same account is in the book of Luke and Matthew, and look what Luke, the physician, says in giving us greater detail in Luke chapter 5 and verse 12. He says, there came a man covered with leprosy. It doesn't just say a man with leprosy. He was covered with leprosy, and as a physician, he would add that detail. The Amplified Bible says it this way, there came a man covered with an advanced case of leprosy. Now, the word leprosy here can mean a number of skin diseases that afflicted people then and, and certainly do today. But because of the advanced stage, we would call this today Hansen's disease. It's a very serious disease that in about nine years will usually take someone's life. We do have this today, by the way. If you look on the WHO website, you'll see that in 2019, there were 202,000 cases of Hansen's disease. You might know this best by uh, maybe some of the documentaries. I believe they call them now the Dalits or the the Dalits, but these are the untouchables in India. These are the documentaries that I've watched. So we're probably more familiar in modern day with leprosy through those types of documentaries about the untouchables. It's it's terrible. It's, It's a horrible disease. And I think it's important for us to grasp today, if if we're going to get the story, we have to grasp the condition of the man. It doesn't make as much sense until we get who he was and what his life was like to truly, I think, feel what the passage is trying to convey. And so there's three things I want to share with you about his condition. And the first is this man experienced very serious physical pain. His leprosy affected him daily with fatigue and joint pain, irritation and itching. He would have developed all kinds of scaly spots over his body with pus-filled nodules in various places, and his face was probably altered to the degree where much of ancient literature, at least what I could read, some of the rabbis even, would describe people that were disfigured in their face looking like lions. 
I mean, I don't know why this is what they would say, but it's, it, they resembled some type of scaly fashion that made people think this way about them. Leprosy attacked the nervous system, making parts of your body numb, which led to serious problems. Dr. Brand is someone who studied leprosy in India among the untouchables. And when you read his literature, which I did this week, you see that leprosy is not just about the scaly spots or some of the uh, things that you have on your body, but what it does is it actually attacks the nervous system in such a way where you don't feel anymore. And when you don't feel, if you were to grab something that was Uh, that was so hot it would burn you, it would go to the core and affect you in such a way where it could disfigure and dismember you. In other words, um, if you were to pick up something that was hot, it would would burn your finger to the point where it was unusable. Uh, A person could sprain their ankle and keep walking on it. And over a period of time, it would just get worse and worse. And so we tend to think that Leprosy, it sort of takes away or eats at uh, your physical body. And that's not necessarily how this disease works. It numbs you to the point where in all of the things that you would do in life, you, you, you end up losing parts of your body or they become immobilized. And this is sort of best understood probably for us, at least uh, when you think about going to the dentist. Now, some of you probably need to do that, but the rest of us, we know what it's like to go to the dentist to get some work done. And they put a numbing agent in your mouth and do the filling or whatever they're doing. And at the end of it, when it's all said and done, they give you this, these directions. They say, hey, do not eat anything for a couple hours. And you say back to them, okay. <laughs> because your lips are swollen. Your lips feel like they're the size of your jaw. Has anybody disobeyed the dentist and you thought, man, I can go to Red Robin and eat right now. Not a problem. I mean, it's just not a good thing for us to disobey the dentist who's an expert and knows what's probably going to happen. But if you've ever bitten your lip or you've ever bitten inside of your mouth, if you are numb, you can't feel the damage that could occur if you don't obey their directions. And I've done this before, and I'm sure some of you rebels in the room have done it as well. But basically, you're numb to the point where you couldn't feel if you were to cause damage to your mouth. Now, take that picture and apply it to all kinds of body parts that you would have, and that's what it would be like for them 24-7 all the time. They are numb, they can't feel, there's no cure, and, 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 this, and, and this kind of damage would occur in their lives. It was, it was a terrible, terrible thing to go through something like this. Well, physical pain is not all they experience. They also experience deep and, and very real, profound societal shame. I think that was probably worse, if you think about it. Because leprosy was so contagious, there are Old Testament laws as to how we would protect the community from the contagion. And here's what Leviticus 13 verse 45 says, As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn, the hair of his head shall be uncovered, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone, and his dwelling shall be outside the camp. So what are we talking about here? Three things. It's about what they wore. They had to tear their clothes, uncover their head, and this was required for public identification, that a person from a far way off could see by their appearance that this person had leprosy. 
The second was where they lived. They left their families. They lived outside in leper colonies. That means that if you had a wife or a husband, if you had children, if you had friends, family, loved ones, or a job, you leave all of that and you go outside the city. You live alone away from everybody that you love. The third thing is they interacted in in a way where people could identify them. If anyone came within 50 to 100 feet, they had to yell, unclean. They had to identify themselves. It wasn't just enough for them to be seen with torn clothes that they could be identified, but they actually had to prophesy it over themselves. Unclean, unclean. Can you imagine living a life where literally you had to say this about yourself every time somebody came close to you? And there are accounts that you can read about where if a person came within 200 feet when it was windy, you had to do that. It wasn't just enough 50 to 100 feet if there was wind because they didn't understand exactly how contagious this was or how it worked. A person had to live this way. Now, it's also important to know that people were encouraged and even instructed when a person came maybe a little too close to pick up a rock to warn that person. So if you saw a leper and they came what you deemed a little too close, you'd pick up a rock and you'd sort of warn them, like, don't get close to me. This was the way that people treated them in society. You can imagine, I mean, just sort of putting yourself there, what this might have felt like. And it makes this story all the more powerful. It was also commonly believed in their culture that people who had leprosy were cursed by God. So get the full picture here. He's cursed by God, he's shunned by family, he's feared by society, and he's hated by self, all right? This is very serious shame, and it leads to a personal kind of shame, where a person would be thinking about themselves, potentially they would have suicidal thoughts. And there's a lot of research today concerning the long, long-term effects of solitary confinement and isolation that's being done in our prison systems right now, and it's helping us understand the emotional, psychological, and sociological impact that isolation has on people. I mean, it's very serious. That's part of why we're not only concerned today, people would be about COVID-19, but there's another side of that. What about the isolation? This is not healthy either. And so sometimes people in their well-meaning attempt to try to solve a problem, they create another one. We're very good at that, human beings are. And we've seen that even in the days in which we're living. The isolation has created incredible amounts of damage. And if you're not aware of that, you need to be. And this is why in this type of isolation, how deeply impactful it can be, it causes people to have suicidal thoughts. It causes people to want to die. And I can imagine this person with the internal disgrace and hatred for oneself, he would be thinking, you know, I am defective. I'm damaged. I'm broken. I'm a mistake. I'm flawed. I'm dirty. I'm soiled. I'm ugly. I'm unclean. I'm impure. I'm filthy. I'm disgusting. I bet he was thinking, I am unwanted. I'm unloved, unappreciated. Nobody cherishes me. I am weak. I'm I'm feeble. I'm sickly. I'm bad, I'm awful, dreadful, evil, I'm despicable, I'm pitiful, I'm, I'm insignificant, I am nothing, I am worthless, invisible, unnoticed, I'm empty, I have no potential. This is what we call hopelessness. That's what we call this. And a person that is at that place absolutely flirts with suicidal thoughts. 
they're already at the end. There is no new start for them. There is no thought of things couldn't get better. I meet people like this, and you don't have to have leprosy to be in this position, friends, and that's why we can actually look at this, and maybe it's not a close parallel, but today there are plenty of people. If it's not you, please hear me. There are many people in our world today that feel as hopeless, maybe, as this man. And so we have to look at this situation for what it is. And in light of the pain and the shame, I think the faith of this leprous man is so worthy of not only our consideration, but something we want to go after. The, The faith, think of all this that he's dealing with. And his faith shines so brightly, doesn't it? The faith of the leper. Look here in Mark chapter 1, verse 40 again. It says, And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him or begging him, falling on his knees before him, saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Two things here about his faith. The first is his faith in Jesus broke through the barriers. A leper came to Jesus. That sounds rather simple, doesn't it? A leper came to Jesus. That's anything but simple. The obstacles were tremendous. We're talking about the law, the people, his past, his shame. Uh, People, as he's going to Jesus, probably have rocks in their hands. He's got to break through all that. I, I can imagine him probably rushing to Jesus. It says falling at his knees before Jesus. Yeah, I bet he got there as quick as he could because he didn't know what was going to be said to him or done to him as he made his way to the feet of Christ. I mean, this is an incredible display of faith, my friends, this morning. It's worthy of us saying, man, I want to be like this man. You have to wonder, how does a man like this break through all that he faced? Well, it is faith. It's, it's, it's to believe. It's, it's, it's what happens when hope rises in someone's heart. They will do what they never did before. They, they will come up out of the shadows and they will come into the glorious light to believe that God could do, could maybe do. Maybe God will. It's, hope needs to be alive in the heart. You understand? It causes people to rush forward, to move out of where they were, to go after it. This is what we're looking for. We believe hope breaks the chains of shame and injustice, fear, and oppression. That's what it looks like in a person that's been living under this pain for so long. He had to believe that Jesus would see him when others didn't. He had to believe that Jesus would receive him when others wouldn't. He had to believe that Jesus would love him when, when others didn't. And he had to believe that Jesus would heal him when others couldn't. He broke through many obstacles to stand before Jesus. What a picture that is for us today. What a picture that is. What are you facing today that's a barrier, that's an obstacle for you coming to Jesus and getting the freedom that you need? And friend, let's just be honest today. We all need some level of freedom. We all need a divine touch of Jesus. If you came here today and you're thinking, Ben, I'm cool, I'm fine, I'm great. I don't need a touch of Jesus. I'm not sure that this is the sermon for you. It might be the sermon for you, but I don't know if I can help that position or that attitude because I, I don't... I don't know what it, what, I don't know how to help a person that can't admit their need before God, but I can tell you today that we all have need before God. You might have known him a long time, and, and that should actually compel you all the more. See, the longer you know him, the more you know you need him. Amen. His faith in Jesus secondarily brought him to the feet of Jesus. The man falls at his feet, and he makes this statement, this profound statement. If you are willing, you can make me clean. 
The leper professes his faith in the power of Jesus. He says, I know you can heal me, but he appealed to the mercy of Jesus. I know you can, but if you're willing, this word willing is the same word of of desire. It's like when Jesus said in Matthew 16, he said, if anyone is willing or if you desire to follow after me, you must first take up your cross and follow me. It's the same word, if you desire, if you're willing, okay? It's not about ability, it's about desire and willingness. That same word that Jesus uses towards us, this man uses towards Jesus. I know you can, but I don't know if you want to heal my broken body. I don't know if you want to make this ugliness turn any better than it is. I don't, I don't, know, if, I don't know if you want to, but isn't it an amazing thing to see that although he did not know the outcome, it did not prevent him from coming, See, that's what faith looks like. Faith can press past our certainty of outcome. That's what faith is all about. I may not know what Jesus is gonna do, but I'm gonna come anyways. That's what faith looks like. Sometimes our need for certainty prevents us or hinders us from doing the thing that Jesus actually calls us to do. I need to know how he's gonna respond because I don't, I don't wanna get hurt. I don't, I don't wanna get a no. I wanna get a yes and that's it. So if I don't get a yes or if I'm not certain in advance that I'm gonna get a yes, then I'm just not gonna come anyways. Friends, the Bible's clear in the book of James. You have not because you... Oh, I love you Bible people. That's how we should do Bible memorization in the, in the adult group. I start it, you finish it. It's like marriage, you know? One of you speaks, the other finishes what you know they intended to say. (laughs) Why is that even funny? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) It's what you meant to say was, uh, I I know I just portrayed a woman in that. Sorry. Women are sophisticated, and usually they can complete our thoughts. It's it's very true. The women didn't say amen or anything. They just quietly said, that's true. (laughs) That is true. He believed Jesus could, but he wasn't certain of the outcome. He didn't know know if he would. If you're willing, you can make me clean. But the faith here that he had pressed past even his uncertainty. Listen, there's something powerful about a person in the midst of their suffering that presses past all of that to be at the feet of Jesus. Friends, that's the kind of people that we ought to be. That, that's the people that we must be. We're people that become desperate for God. We're people that know that God has the answer. He has the solution. I mean, even if he doesn't respond to me today, even if I don't get what I'm asking for right now, I am coming. Listen, nothing can prevent us or should prevent us from coming to Jesus. Nothing. This man is a model to us today. He didn't let everything that he was up against stop him. Now, I want you to think about this. In John chapter 5, Jesus approaches a man. We usually teach that story. It's called the man at the pool of Bethesda. You know the story? In fact, if you come with us to Israel in two years, I know it's a long time off, but I just want to prepare you. But if you come with us to Israel, we will go to the pool of Bethesda. And there's a secret at the pool of Bethesda that I have learned, and I'm not going to share it with you this morning. You just got to come. And if you do, you'll learn the secret. I bet you'll get there and go, this is it? It's $5,000 later, two weeks of vacation, and it's worth every dollar and every minute. Amen. 
But Jesus approaches this man, 38 years he's crippled. We don't know exactly the disease, the ailment that he has, but we know he's crippled because he's lying there and he can't, he can't move himself to get into the pool. And Jesus approaches the man and he asks him this incredibly provocative question. He says to him, do you want to be made well? Do you, is, is it your desire to be made well? So, sounds rather offensive. I mean, if you're a sick person and you're suffering and it's been 38 years and you have a person, he, I don't believe he knows he's the Messiah, but he approaches you and says, is it your desire to be made well? Man, I'm sitting here. And he starts to talk about how the angel stirs the water and they had this sort of myth about what would happen and it didn't happen. It was just this, this thing that they created. I, he basically gave this reason why it wouldn't be him. I can't get into the waters after the angel stirs it. But he was, I think, in a way saying, yeah, I desire to be made well. But Jesus asked this man, do you want to be made well? Do you want? That word want, same word here. Same exact original language word where this man comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, if you want to heal me, you can. See, one scenario is Jesus approaching a person saying, do you want to be made well? And you'll probably not find another situation like John 5. And on the other side, here's the leper saying, if you want, you can heal me. Jesus, of course, says back to him, oh, I do. I do. I want to heal you. I, I think this is important for us to stop and say, we will never plead with God until we truly know our need for God. Do you recognize your need for God today? I mean, I want to assume the best, but I've learned not to do that. Do you recognize your own need for God today? See, I don't think we all have to look like this man. I don't think that we're all in the same situation as this man, but we all have need for God like this man. We all need God more every day, not less. We need God more every day, every year, and not less. Are we in touch with our needs? See, here's the thing. Jesus is still touching lives today. Jesus is still touching lives today. And maybe you're struggling with whether or not he will, but I don't think any of us struggle with whether or not he can. Jesus can touch our bodies. Jesus can touch our marriages. Jesus can touch our children. Jesus can touch our city. Jesus can touch our nation. He's still touching bodies, lives, cities. Jesus is still doing what Jesus has always done. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We are not cessationists at this church. We believe that God touches lives. The divine touch of God can dismiss whatever years of pain and shame have tried to do against us. God can change us in a moment. God can do that. He's the only one that can do that. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, we must now look at the touch of Jesus because that to me is the most important part. As the leper kneels and appeals for mercy, we can imagine all eyes are fixed on him. And verse 40, 41 says, moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him. And he said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Move with compassion. That's a window into the heart of God. Moved with compassion. Compassion is not just having pity. It says moved, and that's the proper translation. He, there was action behind it. It's not just to sit and go, oh, no, I feel really bad for that person. Jesus was moved when he saw him. See, other people were not moved in such a way. They were repulsed by him. They were disgusted by him. But Jesus doesn't see what we see. He doesn't think the way that people often think. Our internal motivation equals an external manifestation. 
Jesus did this because it's who he was. And that's what he wants us to be like as well. From compassion, he didn't merely heal him, he touched him. I think the sequence is kind of important. I don't know if you saw it or not, but it says that Jesus touched him and then he spoke over him. I am willing, be clean. I, if, I, if it were me, I was just throwing this out there. If it were me, I'd say, be clean, and then I would touch him. You understand what I'm saying? It was just one of those moments where you see that the sequence for Jesus is, is a lot different than we often operate. It says that he touched them first, a man that nobody touched. It could have been decades nobody touched this man. I mean, he's, he can't hold, if he's married, he can't hold his wife's hand. He can't have any intimacy, no hugs, no handshakes, no high fives, no holy kisses. He hasn't had any of that for however long. It could have been decades. He's had no physical touch. And you know, there's something to be said when a person has no physical touch. There's something to be said when a person has no physical touch. Some of us grew up that way. There wasn't a lot of physical touch. Now, I, I know I've read the five love languages, and one of the love languages is touch. But I would go a little farther because they're not the Bible, and I appreciate the five love languages book. I give it to everybody that's in pre-marriage counseling, and some people in post-marriage counseling need to revisit these concepts. But I would tell you, everybody needs touch. It may not be your primary love language. That's our filter in Christian church today. That's amazing. It's not mine. I'm just saying. It may not be your primary love language, but I have literally in church. Now, some of you are guilty, okay? So just if the shoe fits. I have gone up and give people hugs before, and you can feel when that's not their thing. They're just like. And you know what I'm going to do, friends? I'm going to hug you a little bit, little bit more. Yeah. Because you need it. Now, I mean, if, you know, I know the lady guy thing. We do the side hugs. Sorry. I, I don't know. I don't know. We're, we're figuring it out. But physical touch is, 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 is really important. Jesus touched him, a man that was untouchable, a man that nobody touched. What do you think it meant to him? Jesus touched him. It's, it's amazing because, because to me, he didn't just heal him. He didn't just heal him. He touched him. He covered him. He touched his body, the very thing that you're not supposed to touch, uh, the thing that's disfigured. The thing that's outwardly in its appearance is what's wrong with him. Jesus touched that and he covered that. That's grace. That's the picture of the grace of Jesus that he literally touches the very thing in our lives that we deem untouchable. That's what he does. That's the grace of God. Nobody else does this. Nobody can. The divine touch of God is overwhelming. The touch of Jesus first, it healed his body. It says immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Don't you, don't you love that? I mean, if you're in the medical profession, it should boggle your mind. I mean, this is where uh, if you're a doctor or you're a nurse, you're like, yep, we, we want to heal and we want to help, but we know we're not God. Because God can do this thing. Like any cell that's infected or affected, think about it. Any cell, any, 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 the skin, it says the leprosy immediately left him. Friends, that can't happen. <laughs> Unless there's someone with a kind of power that blows our mind. We're talking about a person that's disfigured and literally right in front of other people, his face goes back to normal. His skin clears up. It says immediately, not later, not tomorrow, not when you wake up, not next week you're going to feel a little better. Immediately, his skin was cleansed. It's a systemic problem. It goes right down to his nervous system. This is God. I mean, if you believe this, you're in crazy town. 
Explain that to your friends who don't believe in God. Yeah, I believe that by one touch of Jesus and a divine word spoken over him, I believe that right down to his nervous system, everything was cleansed. We are in crazy town, unless we're right, which, by the way, we are. And there's going to come a day where the veil gets lifted, and we won't be surprised. This thing is as real as it gets. I don't know why people cease to believe that Jesus heals today. I don't get that. I mean, if he did it, he just stopped doing it. Is that the thing? I believe that Jesus did miracles for many reasons. One of them in his healing power was to show that his message was true. Absolutely. Another was to show that he was the Messiah. You can't look back and see these kind of miracles in history. You can't see that. I mean, you go back to maybe some of the prophets like Elisha and Elijah, sure, but this is, we're talking hundreds of years. None of these people had ever seen anything like that. And so certainly it was to establish that he was the Messiah and that he had power, but guess what the Bible also says? It says that he chooses to give his power to his followers. So Jesus wasn't the only one that did this. It says that he gave power and authority to his disciples. Well, what did he give them that for? They're not the Messiah. It was to confirm that the message that they were preaching was in fact the truth. Well, what has changed with you and I? And now we're left to just convince people with wise sounding words. Apostle Paul would say, I did not come with eloquence of speech, but the demonstration of the Spirit's power. Well, you can't have the power of God unless you have the prayer life of Jesus. And that's the connection. And we preach here at our church a lot that revival is, comes on the heels of a prayer movement. When you see a prayer movement, friends, you see revival. That's the truth. Sometimes we pray for revival, but when people begin to pray, that literally is the beginning of revival because it takes a lot to get people to pray. Come on, you know that there is an opposition set against you in your prayer life. You know it's true. If you know it, say amen. The devil does not want you to pray. Demonic power does not want you to pray because if you pray, then you're calling on the one who can cleanse the cells, the nervous system. He can speak a word and he can touch bodies and lives. He can touch anything and literally change it from the inside out. This is what we're talking. The enemy does not want you to pray. He wants us to work hard. Oh, we'll do something. We can work hard as we want. We can't cleanse the cells. I'm thankful for modern medicine and all of that. But aren't you thankful for Jesus that when he touches your life, you're never the same? A touch that transforms. He touched his body and he healed him. The body of leprosy had to yield to the divine touch of God through Jesus Christ. He's still touching bodies today. See, some people read this story as history. Some read it as a testimony. But some of us read it with expectancy. I'm in that camp. Amen. Number two, the touch of Jesus restored his soul. Verse 42 says, the touch of Jesus cleansed him. Uh, this is an interesting choice of words. It doesn't just say healed, although it does include healing. It means purged, purified, declared clean. It's what the priests did when you came to them and went through the, uh, the ceremony, the ritual that's spelled out in Leviticus 14. The priests would at some point declare that you are clean. That's what Jesus does. He prophetically and profoundly speaks over this man a new identity, a man that's had to say, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. He's had to literally say that out of his mouth, declare it over his life. Jesus now gives him a better word. You are clean. That's the word that he uses. And with that prophetic word, that's what caused his entire body 
to be healed. Jesus speaks a better word over our lives. His divine touch changes us. His profound word delivers us. You know, his words carry power. Did you know that? It's not just, his, it's not just a, a words, a text on a page. It's, it's, it's when you read them, there has got to be an expectation in our hearts because what he did, he still does. Because who he, is, who he was, he still is. His words carry power. The third and final thing is the touch of Jesus launched his ministry. In verse 43, it says, He sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. He said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Jesus wanted this man, he, he didn't want him to not testify. He said, postpone the testimony, go to the priest, and I want you to go through what Leviticus 14 spells out. It's actually a very beautiful uh, ritual, if you want to call it that, but a, a purification ritual. And the reason that it's beautiful is because of what it actually establishes in him. It really truly speaks to me of the blood of Jesus that was to come. It speaks of, uh, of that clean, cleanness that Jesus would bring. And I, I believe that even in the law, you see pieces of this. It would take a long time to sort of spell it out. But Jesus' desire was for him to go testify to the religious leaders, go through what the law says. But this man did not do what Jesus said. He disobeyed him. Verse 45, the man did not do it, but he went around testifying to everyone everywhere. Talk about disobeying Jesus. My gosh. (laughs) He healed you. He pronounced you clean, gave you one thing, and he said, don't do this. Go do this. He couldn't do that. Sounds a lot like, ooh. (laughs) We're working together. It's a good relationship today. You guys are on it. Thank you for drinking your coffee. Amen. This is bad and good. It's bad that he didn't obey. It's good that he testified, of course. Now this man's an an evangelist, the love, the compassion, the truth of Jesus Christ. It says a lot about us as well. His story is maybe not fully our story, but at least the core of it is. I had this vision while I was praying about the message. I, I I want us to feel what this man had to go through so we can truly capture the words and as powerful as they really are, the, the encounter with Jesus. I do my best to describe it, but as I was praying, I just thought, Lord, what is this like? What, what is this passage trying to convey to us? And I had this picture. I won't call this a vision from God, but it could be my imagination. And that's fair. Everybody believe in a sanctified imagination? I believe in that, okay? As I was praying, I had this picture of the leprous man. The leprous man is now clean, And it says he goes into the city. Everybody remember, that's the place he couldn't go. So he goes to the place that he couldn't go, and he's happy and joyful and excited. And in this picture in my mind, I saw him going through the city and just giddy. Like, what do I do? Who do I talk to? Where do I start? Just imagine it being a decade, and you've never been, you haven't been able to do this. And he's probably hesitating, like he's probably wanting to say, unclean. And he's like, oh, don't got to do that no more. Don't got to do that. Thank you, Jesus. I can imagine he's still got those triggers in him. But what it does now is it triggers joy because he goes to his mouth and he goes, oh, I've been made clean. And I had this picture where he walked up to a couple people that were on the side of the road and he didn't even know what to say or how to even socialize, but he's trying to talk to them like, hey, you know, but it was probably in Aramaic. Hey, I can't, hey. And they're like, hey. They got no problem with him now. And he's like, how you doing? And they're like, good. 
Yeah, just walking through here today. Just want to say hi. He's just talking to him, you know. And then I had this picture where he looked down and he saw something. And I, and I had to go find one on our property. He saw a rock. Now, I had to go, just so you know, uh, it took me a long time to find a rock. <laughs> there was little ones. I was like, that's not going to convey what I'm trying to say. Uh, and I had to clean this rock because I was like, I didn't want to get my hands dirty when I... It was, it was not a clean rock, and I had to dig it out. But anyways, just if you're looking for rocks on our property, there's not many like this. It's my rock. But in this picture, I saw, I saw rocks on the ground like this, and I saw the man. He looked down, and he saw the rocks. Now, these were the rocks that people would pick up. These are the rocks that people would pick up. If the man came close, they would do this. Stay away. Stay away. And he saw those same rocks, but those people that he was talking to weren't even looking to grab those rocks. See, they weren't thinking the way that they were. They didn't see him the same way anymore because that's what Jesus does. He changes us. He absolutely changes us. So the man saw the rocks in this picture in my head, and he picked up a couple rocks, and he brought them to his house, and he put them outside of his door. And then he did this every day. He did this a couple times. And as I'm just watching this picture in my head, as I'm thinking about this passage, and as I'm praying about this message, and I'm thinking about what it would mean to this man and wanting to know what it means to me, I'm like, I see this picture of this, basically this memorial that this guy's built outside of his door with all of these rocks, the same rocks that were weapons against him, were reminders that you're unclean, these same rocks He did what God told Joshua and the Israelites to do in Joshua chapter 4. Do you remember that? When you come through the river, I want you to get 12 people to take up 12 stones, and I I want you to build a memorial. He actually had them do it twice. They had 12 stones, and they took those stones, and he specifically says this in Joshua chapter 4, when your kids ask about what these stones represent, tell them about the God that delivers you. I had a picture of this man with leprosy where he put these stones outside of his house and it reminded him of the God that delivered him. This is powerful. You see, I can't imagine what life was like after this touch of Jesus for this man, the way that he must have felt and all that. I I can picture it just a little bit because of what he's done in, in my life, what he's done for us. See, listen to this, Leviticus 5.23 states that anyone who touches something unclean must quarantine themselves outside of the city. Why did Jesus tell him not to go tell anyone? Well, it actually tells you in the rest of the passage. It says that Jesus could now no longer go into the city, but he had to stay outside the city because the man did not follow the prescribed law. So Jesus literally exchanges places with him. This man couldn't go into the city. Jesus could, and that's why he came to preach in the synagogues and to go around each city. Now Jesus has to go outside the city, and the man gets to go inside and proclaim what has happened to him. Jesus exchanged places. This is so powerful. Even though Jesus said, don't do it, the guy couldn't help himself. And isn't that like us sometimes? You just, if you get delivered by God, you can't help yourself. Like, I'm sorry, I know I should have done the priest thing and the pigeons and the blood and all that. I should have done that. But I couldn't help myself because I'm delivered and I'm reminded of it and I wanted to go and I wanted to tell. I got these rocks too to prove it. Come on, Jesus. Jesus took his place. He exchanged places with this man. It's a profound picture of God's grace. Like leprosy, sin infects the whole person. 
Many scholars use this story as a parallel to our sin. Maybe we don't have leprosy, but we do have what's called sin sickness. We're born with it. And there's no cure for it except for one. Just one cure. And it comes from Jesus. In the same way that he made this man clean, he makes us clean. Friends, we still need to be clean. We need to be clean, our spirit, soul, and our body. We still need Jesus to declare over us, you are clean. Do you need the healer to touch your body today? Do you need the deliverer to touch your soul and release you of bondage or addiction? Do you need the savior to touch your life, to make you clean from the inside? We used to say this a long time ago, and I'm bringing it back. You do not have to clean yourself up before you come to Jesus. You come to Jesus, and he cleans you up. Those of us that have known him longer say amen more. So if you're here today, and I, don't, I know a lot of you, I see a lot of you, I assume that you are Bible-believing, Spirit-filled, Jesus-loving people, but if there's a chance that somebody's in the room or online that you actually do not know Jesus, that you have not given him your life. I'm not asking you if you're a good person. I'm not, I'm not asking you if you try harder today. I'm asking you if you know Jesus. He's the only one that can make us clean. You cannot just try harder. It's not just about being moral, good people. He is the only one that makes us clean. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I wanna tell you that you need to have the courage after the service to come forward. I'm asking you to come forward. I'm not just going to have you raise your hand where you are. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with God, if you're not forgiven of your sin, if he hasn't declared over you, you are clean through his precious blood. You don't know where you're going when you die. You really don't. Like, I think I'm going to heaven. That's not good enough. You can be sure. And if you're watching us online, you need to be sure. Times are dark. We need to know. And I'm making a commitment. Hopefully, I can remember in every service to give this invitation. So after the service, if you don't know Jesus, I'm saying come forward. That's the best decision you can make today. Come forward. We'll pray with you to receive Jesus Christ in your life. Amen? Would you stand? Let's close. Pray with me as we do. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus today for all that you do in our lives. We thank you that your divine touch is still available. God, we thank you that you can heal bodies in this room right now. We thank you that you can set us free right now. And we thank you for the testimonies of what you are doing in this church right now. You're healing, you're saving, you're delivering, you're still moving. God, we thank you that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. I pray, Lord, that you would stretch forth your hands and lay them upon us today. I pray, God, in those areas where we cannot get free or have not been able to get free, we speak freedom right now. Thank you, Lord, for the person that's struggling with anxiety and it's crippling them. We thank you. We speak freedom over their mind right now. Not by our own authority, but in the authority of Jesus Christ. Not by our own virtue, but the virtue of Christ. We speak freedom to your mind. There's somebody right now, you're vexed over your kids. They're adults. You're vexed. You're, you're, your heart is, you're having a very difficult time. And the Lord gives peace to you today. We speak peace over you right now. Be that intercessor that God has called you to be. Don't allow yourself to be full of worry and anxiety. We speak the peace, the shalom of God to you today. We thank you, Lord. 
Father, we thank you for healing. Somebody right now, you have a neck problem. Something has been difficult with your neck. I believe it's on the right side, but it's causing you not only pain and discomfort, but quite possibly you're having difficulty sleeping. Father, we thank you for healing right now, that, that neck problem. We thank you, Lord, that you can remove headaches right now in Jesus' mighty name. In fact, I see a picture of somebody in the hospital, somebody that you love, somebody that you've sat next to. They're in the hospital right now. Father, we speak healing over that person in the name of Jesus. We, we say to them, rise up. We say the one that can cleanse the cells can cleanse them. We, we ask you to come right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, right now for miraculously providing for us. Some of us, you're waiting on God to do something. You've been praying, you've been asking. Father, we thank you. Even this week, even this week, we pray that we will receive the answer for that which we have been asking. Even this week, this coming week, watch, by Friday, some of us are gonna get phone calls and emails. We've been praying for something. We've been putting it in front of God. We say, we know you can. We're not sure if you will, but we're coming to you anyways because our faith has to break through the obstacles. By Friday, we thank you for that right now. In Jesus' name, we speak your answer, oh God. Thank you for your healing. If you just need God's healing, would you just raise your hand real quickly? Let's just pray over you. Father, we thank you. Somebody having eye problems, we speak healing over that right now. Thank you, God. Somebody, you having a problem with your right leg. Yeah, we, we ask for healing. And even in, in streaming right now, we pray that you would heal. Come. The divine touch of Jesus Christ. And just wait for a moment. We're closing. We're closing. Our kids are going to get picked up in a second. But just pray. Thank you, Lord, for your healing power. The teaching is not enough. We need a divine touch. Come and touch your people. Touch us today. Let us experience your love, your affection, your power. We thank you in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.